All right, everybody. So today, back on the podcast, we have Alex Bromley. How are we doing, Alex? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man. We talked, I think it was about, it was this year, it was about seven or eight months ago. Um, it was great chatting with you. I don't actually remember how we first connected. I'm sure I, I reached out maybe on like Instagram or something. But uh, I remember some of the comments at that time were that you had hit 100,000 subscribers. And now you're close to 200, right? I mean, you've had some pretty good growth. Yeah, I've been, I mean, I've been very fortunate, but I've been hitting the gas a lot in trying to like consolidate on like a template for like the type of content and how I'm focusing videos. And I think I finally figured some things out. I've been putting out videos for like six years. So I tell people I'm a, I'm a slow learner, but I'm a strong learner. So I think, <laughs> I think I finally got a handle and people have always said, you know, once you hit this critical mass, um, if you're consistent, that it does tend to kind of grow exponentially. Yeah. And I found that as long as I'm consistent with the content, that's kind of been true. So yeah, I'm really excited for uh, for how the next year is going to go. Yeah. So so what's your primary audience now? Because I'm, I'm realizing actually now as we speak, I I first came across you because I had seen some of the stuff on like back health, you know, Stu McGill and Barbell Medicine and all that. And then um, I guess, you know, it's a lot of strength-based stuff, which of course you still talk about some of your more recent videos, I saw you talk about like some just life stuff, some bodybuilding stuff. Where are you focusing most of it now? So the general focus is very, it's nebulous. It's on strength in general, which can encompass so many things. So I, I think I can intuit who my audience is based on which videos tend to do well. And it is kind of a grab bag. For instance, like I just put out a video specifically about bodybuilding Mm -hmm. that I dumped a ton of time and effort. It took me like three weeks to get it out videos aren't doing so well because it's very mm-hmm. specific. It's very kind of niche over there where I haven't really paid attention specifically to bodybuilding for the last so many years, even though it's very relevant. There's a lot yeah. of crossover, but the branding's a bit different. On the other hand, I branched out into like some men's stuff. I talked about social media and body standards, stuff like that. That video did extremely well. Got a bunch of uh, really positive feedback, a lot of engagement, Said little bits of life advice or, or you know cautionary tales from my experience have done well. So my demographics, it's primarily men. It's in kind of the sweet spot of what you would expect for lifters, you know, kind of like 18 to like 35 is like most of the people. Yeah. So I do like to focus on things that I think are relevant to that group. And there's a lot of, there's a lot to talk about. You know, I think there's a lot of stuff that goes along with being a, a man and being a lifter and the reason why we end up trying to focus on self-improvement to such a crazy degree. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, it, it very much is kind of a grab bag of, you know, a little bit of strength, a little bit of hypertrophy, but not too much. And and just trying to kind of walk that middle line. Yeah, it can be interesting when you have such a strong focus on one thing and you try to bring something else in. Like I remember maybe the first year and it was like all bodybuilding, natural bodybuilding scene. And then even if it was just like I had brought on an enhanced power lifter. And at that point, most of my following had come from natural bodybuilding. And this guy had like a nearly 700 pound bench. I mean, just like crazy lifts. And just very little engagement. And you just think like, this is still lifting and this is, but you know, it can be very specific. That's absolutely right. It's funny. I just had an interview with uh, Sam Sheether uh, a couple of weeks ago and I have a video with him and it's a big bench compilation from all the, just the nuggets of wisdom I pulled out between him and Dennis Arnold, who are both just freak bench pressers. But Sam was saying the exact same thing that he went, I can't remember if he, he said he went on Alpha Destiny's channel, Alex Leonidas, mm-hmm. uh, another, I can't remember specifically who, but it was somebody in that sphere. 
And he was talking about just getting roasted yeah. because they're like, you know, what's, what's this gear monkey doing, oh, uh, you know, trying to give advice to natties. And it is kind of a testament to what social media does and, and YouTube for better or worse. You know, it very much allows people to hunker down, but what they're hunkering down into as far as a label, it can mean a lot of different things and it doesn't always end up in a very productive pattern. So, you know, I, I always tell people there aren't exactly a different set of rules from one to the other, even though there's obvious differences, it has an effect. It's like not enough information. It's kind of like differentiating between men and women for training. Mm-hmm. You can do it that there's a difference. Yeah. But I've never met somebody that has their file for men and file for women because it's not enough information. So right. anyways, but yeah, the, the the labeling thing and how people kind of self-identify, it very much plays into the culture, but also like what I have to do to run a channel. And yeah, what you've yeah, yeah, right. Oh, well, you know, I, I think the biggest area i see it even more so is with nutrition and diets because with lifting i mean for sure you you do get some people who are really really just staunch on the whole like natty thing and they just won't listen to anybody who's not like a a noble natty and whatnot as they say um i do see that but for the most part i do think among lifting among lifters there's good camaraderie but the diet stuff like i don't know how detailed you get with the diet information but some of the comments I see on like vegan versus carnivore, it's really amazing. Like, I mean, it's just like all logic goes out the window and I read it and I don't think these people are intentionally incendiary. I just think they actually believe what they're saying. And it's like, I mean, just for example, um, you know, somebody posts something about like a vegetable being good and, and they, but like on a carnivore page. And the people, I mean, oh, this is all funded by the government and this, I mean, like, you know, this is why doctors don't want to cure cancer. And like, I mean, just the level of it is kind of amazing, you know? God, that's, that that requires like a PhD I don't have, you know, and like, (laughs) because I think about it all the time, like, fundamentally, it's a big problem of our time, right? How to navigate something like our life on the internet, where we have so much information and we can engage and communicate and there should be all this amazing stuff coming out of it. But ultimately it's like the worst parts of ourselves that get selected for. Right, so anything, right. it really is anything that triggers an emotional response. And it is directly kind of to how we self-identify. I was thinking about this earlier today because everybody intuitively thinks that um, the way that they solve problems or the the way that their gut instinct works, the way that they assign like principles or morality to things is solid. And it's like, I feel like any kind of superficial deep dive into psychology shows that uh, we are very crude machines that rely on pretty shitty pattern recognition. And I think most people would be shocked to know like exactly what's driving that decision-making. The one thing I always try to keep in mind, because I'm terrible at this in full transparency, I preach because it's like a projection of like the things that I struggle with. I'm horrible online. I am not good in the comments. Um, people probably see a disconnect between how I am in person and how I act on the comments. And it's something I'm actively working on because, you know, somebody says something that I think is ill-informed and if it's done in a very like, like brash way, it's like, okay, well that has to be put down. And it doesn't even matter if you're right or if you have the authority, it's like the precedent it sets with having conversations, which we have to have in perpetuity, like constantly, so it's, it's like kind of doing the hard thing, tying one hand behind your back. But yeah, basically that means not being an a-hole to everybody and understanding that there's complexity to stuff. And it's, it's an extremely difficult problem to tackle. 
Yeah. And it's funny you say that because I actually do remember when we first spoke and I said how I came across you in the comment section and I was impressed with it. I, I, cause oh. you, and well, cause you had said, you had said, oh, I guess I came across the right comments because I said how, you know, you were very put, well put together and you had a very nice rational response, which I guess maybe was not the norm at the time or something. Um, but, but no, I, I thought it was um, well handled, at least what I saw. But I, I do, I have a strong, I guess, uh, temptation to respond in certain ways to certain comments that I see online and sometimes I will type it up and then I just delete it I almost never do I mean I, I do on my own videos I'll respond to people which most of the comments I get are nice but I just mean in general on the online fitness space I see it and I just think I just can't bring myself to waste that much time on it <laughs> but the desire to do it is definitely there that's the most like mature thing. And I try to like reward myself when I do that. Cause I have typed like paragraphs in and I've always tried to rationalize it. Like this is writing practice. This is me coming up yeah. with clips or like kind of re um, reasserting what I know or how I know it. So there's kind of a value of engaging with that, but it's like the order of magnitude is way off and that having good conversations takes work. It's not easy. It's like sparring, right? You don't go out and start throwing haymakers, um, everybody's kind of, um, trying to improve their skill and their knowledge off of each other. So yeah, it's, it's, it's a difficult thing to do, but as far as like the identity thing with like, like the diet thing, I have no idea why it is that way. I know exactly what you're talking about. There's some streamers I started following and I never thought I would be the guy to watch streamers, but yeah. I do, but like uh vegan gains pops up every now oh, and then. Man, he's still around. Yeah, he's still around, but it's not, I don't even know as far as lifting, but he gets involved with like, and I don't know anything about him other than he pops up on some other popular streams, okay. but um, I've seen just enough of his content. There's like, there's like a level of unhinged, <laughs> it's oh, yeah. extremely entertaining. And I think, you know, kind of perpetuates the attention that he gets, <clears throat> but also when you hear the way that the arguments get formed, it's like, what is it about your adherence to eating something that allows you to pull in this sense of like superiority. I know what it feels like to feel superior. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. That's another thing that, you know, you have to battle with kind of keep your head on straight, but it's like, it's like really like, like veganism or, and like you said, the same thing, like the carnivore diet, I'm hearing a lot of that uh, nowadays too. It's, it's very bizarre. People will, will find their in, I think wherever they can. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I, it's one of the issues with both lifting and nutrition <laughs> is it's very anecdotal and, uh, especially with nutrition, I mean, it's extremely anecdotal because it's a lot of epidemiology studies and whatnot. Um, but even with lifting, I mean, um, there's actually, I'm going to put out a video soon and it's just some commentary that Jeff Nippert had mentioned how, you know, people compare themselves to somebody and they say, oh, well, if they're enhanced, then I, I want to know if they're enhanced or not so that I can decide or figure out if I can achieve what they can achieve. And his point was, well, obviously genetics are a huge factor too, right? And that's that's totally true. Um, my video will kind of get into some of the other confounders there. But the point being that there's so many big factors beyond just like your split of how you're training or your like macronutrients that it, it becomes very difficult outside of like highly powered long-term studies to be able to determine these things. So when it comes to like a diet, it's like, well, this worked for me kind of a thing. I do understand why people gravitate towards it um it's more like the cult aspect of it that i think people like you said the identity that comes from it and, and almost inevitably and this goes back to different psychological principles when you when 
I don't want to say everybody, but generally when you see somebody who is so extremist and has a lack of nuance, you generally view that person as less knowledgeable and less intelligent because you, you lack the ability to form that nuanced argument and viewpoint, right? I mean, most people who are really intelligent don't have such a staunch view in a certain way um, with something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I generally that like, that's a pretty good heuristic to go off of, right? Like if you're smart enough to engage with the complexity or at least to recognize it, that's probably going to come out in how you talk about things. But, uh, the other thing that makes that complex is I've met some incredibly intelligent people that are also themselves unhinged. And yeah. the way that that, it, I liken it to this, like, imagine that you're taking the SATs, well, I, I guess there's bad test takers, right? People that get anxiety. But imagine you're you're taking a standardized test and you're solving a word problem. Honestly, take away the stress. Imagine you're doing a Sudoku problem on an airplane. And imagine that your heart rate is at 180 and you feel your chest like up in your ears, like with your blood pressure, like that sensation you get when you're heated. And I've just, I've seen that enough times. I mean, I've experienced it myself at times, but it's like when your brain goes to that point, it's like, it doesn't matter how much horsepower you have in there because yeah. all that's shut off or it's like going somewhere else. Um, so I, I'm inclined to think it is a problem with, I mean, the less intelligent you are, I think the more likely you are to lack the impulse control or to have yeah. the self-awareness. I think that's absolutely true. But the really insidious thing about it is I think that actually impacts a lot of really smart people as well. And there's like, I have this desire to like stop everything about lifting and just focus on social media with like um, the documentary, the social dilemma and all that stuff. Cause I'm fascinated by it, but also like, like being engaged with this stuff. It's, it's like, so in your face at all times and you feel like a responsibility to like engage with this stuff. And yeah. then when you add in, like you said, the, the studies, cause again, it's like an identity error, kind of an air of superior superiority. Cause you want to be able to go with the data, but also the fact that it's like vague or not complete, or there are a lot of confounding variables involved with it. And it does require very careful discussion. Um, it allows for just an absolute cluster of people making strong opinions that aren't really foundationally based in anything, cherry picking anecdotes, cherry picking data, misinterpreting conclusions. Um, and it's hard. And I'm always interested to talk to people like you that have a more thorough education. I'm sure you've done your share of like evaluating research I mean, I, I don't have a degree, but I've dicked around in college enough to like have taken lab classes and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And if you're being honest about what the limits are of the field, like what's holding back exercise science, it's very much lack of participation. Even if you had all the participation in the world, lack of being able to define the thing you're talking about, to be able to measure it. I mean, the amount of people that you would need, I've gone on this rant a hundred times, but the amount yeah, of people yeah. that you need to, to get some type of like unified theory of training would be at more people than have ever lived on the planet. And you just <laughs> have, you need to have them observed and running through. I mean, just think of all the variables that go into training and each variable, how many different ways you can run it. Right. It's like th there would be an unlimited. And I think we'd be half a percent better for all that work. Yeah, yeah. And just to back up a bit, I should clarify, I definitely don't think that being intelligent makes you immune sure. <laughs> to some of these extreme sure. views at all, yeah. right? I mean, whether we're talking politics or diet, there's very intelligent people on both sides. And yeah. and that's that's what can make it more confusing to me when I see somebody who is really intelligent, who has some pretty radical view. And it's just like, man, like most things have significant nuance to them, right? I mean, 
Um, but yeah, yeah, when it comes to like the studies, I mean, I, I studied actually science in, in undergrad and I was part of two research studies and it's, uh, I don't want to say they're all bad. I mean, they're definitely not all bad, but it is not necessarily as rigorous as you might see in, in like some larger studies and, um, you know, something that's like funded by a hospital that's got like, you know, 10,000 people over like five years. That is not what's happening on college campuses <laughs> on a lot of these studies. You know, it's very different. And yeah, and I think the further people are away, because that's another point where people, I've, I don't want to name names. I got into a kind of a heated back and forth with an individual who's very, she's pretty well known, but he's very given to relying on the data mm-hmm. and using that to kind of sharpen his sword that he goes out and stabs people on the field with. And um, name names, Alex, this is <laughs> <laughs> this self-preservation. Yeah, but, right, right. No, but um, uh, I, I, I don't want to I don't want to start more more shit than I yeah, need to. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. I'm, I don't know if that's ever a standard I've upheld, but I'm going to uphold it. Now. Um, <laughs> no, no, but it was the way that it gets talked about. And I feel like you can't have this perspective of it if you've ever been close to the field. Like if you've seen how the stuff goes off, if you know, like when people are in the decision, in the decision-making mode, figuring out what they're testing, what their potential sources of errors are going to be. Sometimes when people are just in that position where they have to turn in work and they're like, you know, uh, F it, it's fine. There's like a good amount of kind of settling for like the best thing you can do at the moment. Yeah. And um, you take that out enough times, like people can't even agree on what failure means. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like uh, the, People don't even like have a really good way of making sure they know somebody is actually taking it there. There's so many variables between one person and, and another. So anyways, as you get closer to it, you see how things branch off and uh, it makes it, in my opinion, it would make it very, very hard to be a part of that field and then represent it in an absolute way. And that's one of the reasons I have a lot of respect when I hear you hear like Schoenfeld or um, Krieger or Helms, you know, and when they're on interviews, all the guys with PhDs, I find, are very, very good at saying you cannot use studies to inform your training decisions. That's not their function. That's not what they do. This is part of, you know, a bigger, more long-term thing. But um, yeah, and then again, that all just, I think, ties right back into people grasping at straws to try to um, find some footing to kind of represent themselves ahead of the mob online. Right. And um, it's it, it, it's a, it's a problem. I don't know. I don't know where it's going. It's fun to watch. Yeah. If if you're kind of an anarchist like me, but you know, do, do you have like you know Alex Bromley's unified theory of training? I mean, after so many years training so many people, do you find like no? I really believe that these are the principles that lead to the best results, or is it just like hey, like you know, you got to work hard for a long time, and that's going to be most of it. So I don't want to get too like, um, you know, metaphysics here, but it's like there's there's different levels to answer that question on because when I think about like what the true answer to that would be, it would be something that can reliably point to an individual, take into account who they are, what their genetics are, what their psychology is, and say, given everything we know about you, we know for a fact that this approach to training is such a percent more likely to give you best results long-term. And it would probably go a step above that and chart exactly how people adapt over time because a big factor for when you plateau or stop growing is the most recent thing you've adapted to. So, you know, something like a broad recommendation like volume. That's why I lose my mind 
because you have like bodybuilders that are used to talking about training variables. Like there's an optimal range and then you just stay there. Right. Which isn't what you do in any competitive sport, like anywhere in the world. Right. It's like you go through phases, um, you compartmentalize things that you're focusing on and give them priority. And then you, you switch, you transition over time and given how people adapt. Like, so anyways, it's the individual genetic variation, which I feel like we're not going to get to the bottom of until we can have quantum computers that like, you know, you, you punch in the, the genome and, uh, run a billion simulations and see, see what happens. (laughs) But then in addition to that, you need the complexity of time, which is one of the most difficult things because whatever was optimal for you, your first year or at five years in, it's not going to be optimal six months from now. It's not going to be optimal years down the road, unless you're talking about something very broad, something broad where there's a lot of wiggle room in the middle, like Mm -hmm. progressive overload. Like, of course, progressive overload works, but that's because there's a million different ways you can apply it, but the exact same things work. So anyways, if I'm taking it down from that, okay, we can't do that. What's the recommendation for people given all the things we don't know and we'll probably never know. It is a recommendation of hard work. It just seems like working your ass off seems to be universally the thing that's going to set people apart more than anything. That's actually a change of heart for me recently Mm -hmm. because I remember my years being burnt out because that's all I was doing. And it wasn't until I learned how to throttle back and organize better and pay attention that I actually improved and stopped getting injured by the way. Um, but that's a personal bias of mine. There are people like that. And it, uh, again, I was talking to Sheether about this. He had a great point. He's like, it's a much better problem to have where you just hit the gas and you're going, 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 you're growing like a weed. And then you run into trouble to where we can say, okay, now let's dial it back. Let's pivot. Let's take that and focus it somewhere else. Then taking somebody who's real finicky over their training or expects the organization of training to have all the answers instead of hitting the gas. Cause that's a hard thing to teach. It's a hard thing to foster, <clears throat> especially when you think of people and I've dealt with a lot who have started with barbells and they'll do 25 sets of, of deadlift technical practice, but you can't get them to put any effort on a tricep press down or on a, a single leg, you know, Bulgarian squat or something. So a- effort's probably the biggest one. And then beyond that, I mean, good exercise selection, which we pretty much know, um, having some kinesthetic awareness of your body. So striving to be technical, that doesn't mean being surgically precise and constantly screwing with your stuff, but passable technique that is within an acceptable margin. And then just taking notes so that over time you can pay attention to what specific changes actually led to a good result. And I think that's where people struggle the most, because if you can retain stuff that you know worked well for you, and make adjustments accordingly and note the results. That's the best possible thing you can do, but that's extremely hard. So everything I've done up to up until this point with programming, it's a good framework. I think it has good stuff packed in into it. I think it addresses a lot of problems that people have. And I think it's important to wrap your head around all the different options, but really I don't think anything beats hard work and just figuring out um, how you tick. Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. Um, You know, most of my first 10 years was, I, I wasn't the guy who was jumping around routine to routine because I, I knew that that was not ideal. And I didn't believe that there was like, you know, some golden ticket. But I I always, to some degree, there it, it may be good early on to be a little delusional about what's possible, right? Because you, you then push even harder. But um, it was definitely trying to find that optimality. And I, I more and more believe that it, it really is, you know, obviously genetics are huge. 
if somebody is taking performance enhancing drugs, that's huge. But beyond that, it's like consistency and hard work. And, and that you, you know, you mentioned like within like reasonable margins, right? That's obviously you can't have something that's just like abysmal, but you know, you got like a B plus routine and you're super consistent with it and you're really pushing hard. That's going to beat an A plus routine if you're inconsistent, you know, every week. So. I, I agree. Yeah. It's um the mistake of it's diminished returns exist in everything. It's, even if there was something you could define that is optimal, the amount of work you would find, you would, the amount of work it would require for you to find it and then consistently apply it would just be, I mean, the, the extra benefit you would get, it, it gets so razor thin that it doesn't even make sense. And then it's a crapshoot of chasing that little margin at the top, that little razor thin margin, if that's worth all the other things that you're tending to forget about. So I always go back to folks on the big things, you're doing the big things. Uh, people online in the comments, new trainees, they get furious yeah. when you go back to like work hard, sleep, <laughs> are you sleeping enough? Are you drinking enough water? Are you eating? Um, because they're like, yeah, no shit. But especially now it merits that pivoting back because there has been so much discussion about the high minded stuff that there probably does need to be a big kind of back to the earth. Like, look, you want to find one thing that separates two groups of people that's going to dictate this group doing way better over time than this group besides steroids. It's going to be who loves to train. Yeah. I really, I really think that's the case. It's who loves to be there and um, just gets off on every bit of progress, every bit of effort they put out. I had the biggest gains when I was a teenager using it as a form of self-harm. Like it was just taking all my stuff out. Um, on myself and that, that over time it led to good results and yeah, it got to the point where it was unsustainable, but then that's, that's when the shift happened. So yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's a lot to consider. Yeah. I, I talk to clients about this all the time and I say, look, like we <clears> have to get you to, I don't, not everybody's necessarily going to have the same path I did, but you have to get to the point that you're enjoying this. I don't know anybody who does it for 10 plus years. And every time they go, they're just like, oh, this sucks. I got to get this out of the way, you know? Um, I guess I'm kind of like when I think of cardio, like I've consistently done on average, like two sessions of cardio a week for well over a decade, basically my entire training career. Um, and I don't like it <laughs> and I do it for, you know, like health and, and just, you know, a little, um, I'm not super active in terms of step count. And so I think it's like good for me to do that. Um, so I guess there's exceptions, but even that is within the framework of this overall thing. I mean, overall, I very much enjoy being a fit person. And I just think if somebody's like, yeah, it just sucks every time I go. <laughs> I just don't think that's going to be consistent, you know, long-term. Yeah. Cardio is, is a special beast. Cause I don't know anybody that it's one thing to love running. Mm -hmm. Like I, I run periodically. Um, thank God my feet are shaped the way they are because I'm 265 and I can go run a couple miles on concrete and I'm fine. Wow. I, know, I know a lot of people get shin splints and stuff. Um, anyways, I see the benefit. I've promoted it. I enjoy running. That's a different thing than like, I have a bodybuilder friend and his car, it's an hour incline specifically at a slow walk, like mm. intentionally. And it's like the most, it's like Chinese water torture as yeah. exercise. Yeah. And it's just like, yeah, I don't think it ever gets easy, but you know, that serves a broader thing that you do love. You know, you do love chipping right. away at your physique, right? You do love getting, getting stronger. You do love seeing where you can take it. So even there's that kind of surge of satisfaction that comes from that, um, which I, I think is enough. You know, I don't think you have to, I don't think it's reasonable or healthy to, for people to expect that they 
love in the moment, every single thing that they do. Sure, um, totally. You know, you got to be able to do hard things, but like, I mean, as far as you, like what along your journey, like what were some of the epiphanies you found when you were piecing things together in terms of effectiveness or in terms of things that made me enjoy it? Oh, I mean, uh, both are good, but like, let's start with effectiveness. Yeah. So I Hmm. was fortunate that I early on had good influences. I I mean, I like the the book that got me into it was um, Body for Life by uh, Bill Phillips. That was like my dad gave me that book, the red book with all the before and after pictures on and all that. You know? I have it on my shelf. Yeah. 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 Um, looking back at those, the transformations actually might be more impressive to me now than at the time. Like some of these guys, I'm like, are these natural transformations or were these in the time that they said it was? Because <laughs> these are some of these are really impressive. Um, but in any case, so I read that man, I was 13, 14. I was like freshman in uh, high school, I guess it would have been. And I was just hooked, man. Like I was so into that. But that book does focus on progressing over time. You know, um, I I don't think that the nutrition advice was as good in the sense that they talked about this cheat day every week, and that definitely you know took a turn for the worse for me early at a young age. Um, I actually I I'm very big on like if I write something down or say I'm going to do it, I do it. And so I remember it was like the last year I had gone away to like a camp or anything like that. And I was like, oh, I'm going to be away for a week. So I'm going to save a week of cheat days for that time. Like just not totally understanding the concept of, you know, what they were for. And obviously ridiculous. And like, you know, I basically had seven weeks of very low calories and doing that. So just a funny story there. But um, but the point is he had progressive overload and good nutrition early on. Then I was on the T Nation forums and uh, there was a forums, Iron Addicts forum. Ever hear of that? Um, it's familiar. I haven't been on it, but I've heard yeah. of it. Um, and it was big on, again, like big progressive overload, high protein, all that stuff. So I just, I was fortunate to never fall into like the, the supplement trap or like, just like the fluff and pump kind of training. Um, so I, you know, people have heard my channel and it's very, uh, they've heard it a million times that I say, you know, focus on like big key lifts, progressive overload over time. Um, Dante Trudell, like his influence, like DC training was big of like, again, like heavy slag iron. So Ultimately, while I've done a lot over the years and I've, I actually find less is important than I initially thought in terms of all those little details. Um, So just getting stuff that's consistent and progressing, because I think going back to the, the aspect of what makes you enjoy it, a lot of people are really driven by progressing, whether that is progressing in their lifts, progressing in their physique, progressing in their job, something that makes you move towards a meaningful goal. And so this is what I have a problem with these routines of like, oh, like I, I just really felt a burn in this or this felt good. It's like, that's that's great for like that day. You know, the soccer mom goes to the Pilates class or whatever. It's like, oh, that just felt something. But I think that can get boring quickly or you're always chasing that thing that feels good that time. Whereas when you have a goal that feels like meaningful progress, you, you talked earlier about like you need to get comfortable with not everything is going to feel good. And that's when something that can feel so bad, like a 20 rep breathing squat or something like that, can also feel good because you're like, man, when you finish that set, that accomplishment, you beat what you did before, you really have to tap into the psychology of the clients to get them. That's like my main goal when I have a client is like, how do I get this person to feed off of each workout and and get that really that with that win, you know, as as like cliche as that kind of sounds. Yeah, the... 
power of association. I'm thinking back to every self-help like productivity book I've ever yeah, read. Yeah. The power of association is a real thing. And I made the comment about not being expected to love everything you do in the moment, but you can absolutely over time by connecting the thing you do love, the thing you do want with an activity that you know gets you closer to that. You can connect those very closely to the point where you eventually do feel that love and satisfaction. I remember being a teenager. And by the way, my first influence was Body for Life too. The uh, mm-hmm. the before and after pictures, that's some deadly marketing. That was like some of the most effective marketing I've ever seen. Cause I would yeah. just, I know what you're talking about. They're holding the newspapers and I would just stare at them. That was, yeah, yeah. Um, and I was a fat kid. So I was like, there's Man. hope. Yeah. But um, the, yeah, well, working up, pyramiding up to that one hard set. And then like kind of the seesaw of cardio of like going, you know, five, yeah. six, seven yeah, miles yeah, per yeah, hour yeah. back down. <laughs> that's how I ran all my cardio when I was a teenager. Same. And it was stimulating. It was fun and it, and it worked. But um, yeah, as far as uh, association goes, I remember being a teenager in like a 24-hour fitness and it was, I'd only been squatting for a couple of years. And I want to say I had something like the mid 200s on the bar and I remember racking it specifically because it felt like it was going to crush me. I was in the middle of a set. I knew for a fact I had a couple of reps left, but the sensation of breathing hard, having the weight on me triggered kind of a panic, kind of a screw this, I'm done. And I racked it. I remember racking it and just kind of dwelling on like the sensation of giving up. You know, you feel yeah, you feel like you're a wimp. Yeah. You're giving up. You you are one step further away. It's like your goal is that much farther away from you now. And it's a terrible feeling. But I remember like I didn't really let that get to me. I found ways to carry on with my workout. I kept coming back, kept coming back, kept coming back. And it was like so much time, months, maybe years down the road, and I remember never getting that feeling ever again with a squat, even with a max effort, blood vessels breaking, you know, turning bright purple, like I'm about to stroke out. There was just a point where you adapt to this thing. It's not just that you're physically strong enough to move it, but your perception of effort changes your perception of like how you internalize what it is to strain to and beyond what you're physically capable of doing. It changes. And a big part of that was, I think the desire to experience it in the first place, like I want these goals and eventually every PR, every time you do another rep, every time a little more weight goes on the bar, it just reinforced like I'm, I'm moving, I'm getting there. There's a reason for all of this. And before long, like my entire perception of hard work changed. So that's it's a very real thing. And I don't know how you get clients there because if you could, if you had that, that trick where you could yeah. put somebody in a trance, you'd be raking in tens of millions of dollars. Um, the best I found is like one telling them that that is a thing they can expect. Like, Hey, if you stick around, like it doesn't suck every time. Um, and two, if you can connect that association, it makes really difficult things not suck, which means you're just that much more likely to succeed. Yeah. 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 The, the guilt of a, you know, a a set that was ended too early or like a skipped workout. Like I have, and I think it's a, I don't know if I've actually gone back and forth on if I think it's it's good or not, because sometimes I'm like, oh, it's like you're too hard on yourself. But then that guilt kind of forces you to keep going. And not just with lifting, but just generally, um, I can think of a specific time. It was either early this year or last year. And I was late to get home and I really just wanted to skip this workout. And I was like tired. I was sleep deprived. And I I just really wanted to. And I just couldn't. I was so frustrated with myself at the idea of skipping it that I was like, if I skip this, I'm just not even going to be able to relax. 
And that's probably not good all the time. There are probably times where it's like, there's so much buildup. Maybe you just need to take a little bit of time off. Um, and I, I think just, I'm as I mentioned earlier, if I say I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it. If I write down a goal, I'm going to do it. So if I plan a week off, that's fine. You know, if I plan to have like a, you know, a free meal or whatever, that's fine. But like same thing, like if I plan to be on a diet, I just couldn't not do that. I couldn't last minute be like, no, you know what? I'm just going to have some pizza or something. Um, part of me thinks that that has allowed me to be successful. But part of me thinks like that psychology is maybe not always the best. And I, I go back and forth on that. So that, I mean, what do you think about that coming from, because you sound like a very organized and deliberate person who you finish what you start. I was the opposite. Mm -hmm. I'd have my friend who was in college to be a clinic, a clinical psychologist tell me, you never finish what you start. Like go get a puzzle just as an exercise, go get a puzzle and finish it. So you know what it feels like. Yeah. I was like, and I wasn't like a kid. I was like 27. <laughs> and, yeah. um, um, but as you look out into the world, especially right now, there's gotta be a word for this where you have like these battling truisms. Like, you know, one is, um, standards are important. You want to succeed. You have to hold high standards, have high expectations. Um, you know, be your, your worst critic where another one is like, um, Hey, if you do this, you're going to get an eating disorder yeah, or yeah, you're right, going right. to be miserable or you're not going to uh, love or appreciate the finer things. I mean, how do you, how do you tackle that? Or how do you like perceive that with like exceptional performers, knowing that if you have to exceed in college, if you have to exceed out in the workforce, you need that. But also there's some unknown balance that has to take place to make sure people don't go off the deep end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I still am figuring that out personally because, you know, like I have two of my own businesses and it's, it depends on the frame that I have it in. Right. So like my whole like podcast and YouTube channel and everything, I look at that as something to be enjoyed. And so I set the goal of like, you know, one video a week or one post a week or whatever, but it's not in the same context of like, this is work towards a goal. Whereas like my like primary business, sometimes I'll talk to friends who are in the same line of work and it's just, and they're like, Oh, like you're still at the office. It's nine o'clock. Like, what are you doing? Like I will routinely be at the office until nine or 10 o'clock. And I think it's just because it's like, what I look at what should be done to do it optimally or properly. And if it's not done, I think, well, then how am I supposed to relax because it's not done yet. The stuff is not completed. And, and again, I don't want to sit here and act like my entire life is like this and I'm just high achieving in every second. You know, that's not what I'm saying. But if that's the context of what we're talking about, then it is. Um, and that does make it hard for me to like enjoy weekends. I mean, you know, as like somebody who's like got your own business as well, there you're never really done, right? There's no nine to five, you check out and you just go home, right? There's always a video you could make. There's always an article you could write. There's always marketing you could do. Um, and with my personality type, that has allowed me to be successful with it. But there are times where like, man, like it would be nice to just be able to turn that off and have a three day weekend where I don't think about it. Um, and I think sometimes people look at the people who are the most, again, like by standard like society standards, they're the highest achieving people. And they think, oh, that, that's a really great thing to have. I want that. But with that comes increased stress and responsibility and things that it, I don't think those people are necessarily happier. I think they maybe are more proud of what they've accomplished, which is great in and of itself. Um, but I don't know if like certainly the day to day it was, is not happier. 
Yeah. That, I mean, that's a theme, right? With uh, the highest performers, it's like how many well-adjusted, um, you know, CEOs of multi-billion dollar companies are there or how many well-adjusted, I mean, it's like, we kind of stand on the shoulders of people that have like martyred themselves to like yeah. whatever the next great discovery is. Right. That because those are the people that have like the technological breakthroughs, those are the people that change the standard that they go insane and shatter yeah. some physical barrier. Everybody thought was impossible. Um, I, I think not all the time, but if you're going to try and draw a crude pattern, um, you're probably going to find they tend to be a little less well-adjusted. Yeah. Uh, and then it's a question of like, okay, is that supplementing something? Are there people, I mean, I think so much about the way people tend to be wired when you really consider how people function differently. Does the idea of contentedness even make sense as a yeah. universal idea? Because if you have a brain where it's just a basket of monkeys, it's like, what does contentedness even mean to you? You know, it's like, do you have to use drugs to induce that? Is it right, right, something you have right. to train or are you, are you just better off going when you feel like going? And um, some of the, it's a standard I hold myself to knowing it's like this fixed North star that I'm never going to get, but it doesn't, I'm better for trying to strive it, knowing I'll always fall short. The, the friends I know, the people in my life, I know that are like that, where I am very much, I'll take a rest when I need it. And I know people that they're just on 24 seven and it's inspiring to watch. Like it is inspiring to know what somebody is capable of doing. Like if you have to do that, like, Hey, you don't need seven hours or six hours of sleep every night. Like, Hey, you actually can work 10 or 12 hours in pursuit of this thing. That's really, really important to you, you know, hoping that it's optional and it's not something you're forced to do by necessity, which I know some people are, but, um, yeah, pe people are wired differently and I don't even know how to tackle that. And that's the thing I think when trying to figure out what the the general answer is for a hard question like that, like how do you balance going crazy to be a high achiever with having something that looks like mental health? And there's no way that's a, a one size fits all type of uh, solution. Um, it has to be individual. And that's, again, things that I struggle with, with trying to communicate to people. If I'm writing a story or making a video, there's a theme that I want to touch on. And in no way, shape or form do I think it's like the universal theme for everybody. But if you're watching the video, you'll probably feel like that's meant to apply to you or that's a critique of you individually. So if I am talking about something like having standards, having a work ethic, like I don't necessarily think the problem with society is generally um, people being overworked, not to say they don't exist mm -hmm. um, or that that isn't in its own capacity a thing. But um, it, it's very hard because you, you can't draw that blanket over everybody and really solving somebody's problems individually, it does require something a little more surgical. Yeah. Well, I, and related, I'd love to get your opinion on this because sometimes, and you know, this is something I think about often is how much of what we think we want is even in reality, the outcome that we would want or the path that we'd want to get to that outcome. So like, you know, let's talk about somebody who's maybe not by his own admission, less well-adjusted. So, you know, Peter Atia. Yeah. So Peter Tia, right? Big podcast, The Drive. Um, I like his podcast. He had a book come out, Outlive. That was a great book. And you look at that, you can say, hey, like, would you want to be a successful doctor turned successful podcaster who's got all this stuff and he's talking to like to some of these brightest minds and whatnot? And like, you know, with two people who have YouTube channels, like, yeah, that that sounds really cool. 
But then he'll go into his whole thing of it. He has entire life of, you know, like therapy and really not being well adjusted at all. And, and like a lot of self-hatred, like literally just like cursing himself off and all those things are like, oh, wow. Like, but that that's kind of in line with what you were saying before, right? With, with some of these, you know, we, we stand on the shoulders of giants and whatnot. And I think like bringing it back to lifting a little bit, it's like, or, or like, I don't, do you, do you watch MMA at all? Yeah, I, ha- I have before. Yeah. So like, I'm a big UFC fan and you look at that, yo, yeah, it'd be cool to be like the heavyweight champion of the world, right? It's like, well, do you, how about the like decade of getting like just the crap beat out of you constantly, the CTE, and then maybe not even getting there? Hey, that would be cool to be Mr. Olympia. Okay. How about like the decade long run of drug abuse and the side effect and the shortened life and the psychological downfall when you have to then come off everything? I mean, like, you see the Instagram snippet of it. And it's like, that's so cool. Right. It means like you watch like Dragon Ball Z as a kid. You're like, that's what I want to do. Right. Or something. And then reality kicks in of what that is. And it's like, is that necessarily better? And the part that I struggle with is, you know, many religions would talk about this. Many uh, philosophers would talk about this, that like, no, it's, it's almost like the goal would be want less and be content with what you have and everything. It's like, but how do you, how do you tell that to somebody and just say, no, 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 you have an average job and you know, you're, you're, you know, you got a family. So like, that's really important to you, but like your life is pretty average and being more successful, quote unquote, successful, isn't going to benefit you at all. Like it's, it's hard to believe that because that is not what we look around when we talk about success. What do we think about? We think about outward signs of success, right? I don't even think like, even as I'm saying this, if somebody told me, no, work half as much, make a third as much money and, you know, just be okay with an average physique. I don't think I would buy it. And yet, uh, you know. So, and that brings up a very interesting point. Cause I think about this, cause anytime conversations go into like economics or whatever, like, um, you know, teenagers and college kids and streamers being socialists is very in vogue right now. So you get a lot of discussions about these kind of like theoretical futures that people are pushing towards. And one of the things that deeply frames because there's not a, especially I don't know shit about economics. I didn't spend time dealing with that. So those are areas, society as well, like so, uh, social stuff. I have to use kind of blunt instruments to kind of intuit what I think is true, and I'll argue those to the best of my ability, knowing full well what my shortcomings are. But the one thing when I play that thought experiment, what does society look like in a certain situation? I think there's people that are pushing to like a post-work society. Or something where, you know, hey, we have enough automation and what are we going to do? Robots are just going to run everything and, you know, we can kind of hang out and the system just takes care of us. Like, you know, hamsters at an amusement park. I cannot imagine any well-adjusted society where some work, some grind, something that's expected of you isn't part of your existence. Mm -hmm. Like, I just, I intuit that that's connected to the type of dysfunction that leads to um, you know, trying to feel anything else where you just end up constantly altering your conscience with, um, your consciousness with like, I don't know, drugs or dysfunctional behavior. Anyways, I feel like they're very, very much is something deep in people. And it probably has to do with our entire evolutionary history about working towards something. I mean, anybody looks at a tiger in a cage and they say, well, that's inhumane. It's like, why is it inhumane? The tiger's relaxing. It's not going to die from like breaking an ankle. It's uh, going to live as long as it possibly can. It doesn't have to, you know, it's not food insecure. It's getting fed. It's getting attention. It's fine. But everybody looks at it and they're like, 
no, it's inhumane because it's not meant to do that. But I I work in this office 60 hours a week. You mentioned step counts earlier. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get like five steps a day. It's like yeah. up my stairs <laughs> in here and then I'm done. And at least, I mean, my mind is engaged, but it, when you have somebody who doesn't have to work to chip away at something, I feel like it's very much the same thing. There's kind of an inhumaneness to it because it's so detached from everything that our brains are kind of wired to do. But then on the complete other end of that, it's like, okay, so are we, is that kind of what human bliss is though? Is like the endless chasing of something because, yeah. and it really, it really isn't about the goal. I mean, anybody that's goal oriented knows the goal doesn't matter. Yeah. Like you've had goals. How, how much do you spend? Uh, how much time do you spend sitting around thinking about all the goals you've checked off? Yeah. I mean, like, it's good. So I was just going to say like, like I could probably list if I had to a bunch of things, I'm sure you could too, that I did this it, so many people didn't do. I don't think about that. I think about all the shit I haven't done yet yeah, and everything's right. just moving, moving forward. And I think there's a healthiness to that because the journey is the thing to enjoy, whether it's life or the thing you're working towards, you need a goal to facilitate that journey, even though the goal isn't that important. And then you yeah. mentioned like wanting less kind of that Buddhist philosophy of like, you know, life is pain and you kind of learned to, just to deal with it and kind of remove yourself and I think that's a very, very useful strategy. But what does society look like if everybody's well-adjusted? <laughs> so who's right, who's doing the hard shit, man? Who's who's making new stuff? Like, who's pushing us forward? It's a very, you know, it's it's like every group of people needs, uh, every population needs uh, its steady percentage of people to kind of be sacrificed for, like, the good yeah. of everybody else. Because if we're all just humming in a circle, like... Fields aren't getting sown. Products aren't being made. You know, warriors aren't staying strong for the event that there's an attack or a raid. Like it's, uh, we're stuck in between like our prehistoric past and like some future that we don't even know what it looks like. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting that, you know, how many multimillionaires do we see where it's like, you know, you could stop right now. Like you could just not do anything else and just kind of chill, but they don't, right? I mean, sometimes they do and then they go back to it or they get into like, you know, too much drugs and alcohol and all that stuff. But, um, you know, why is Conor McGregor still fighting, right? Why Why are some, like I knew um, there was one guy who wrote a real estate book and he became very wealthy. And then after three or four months of just kind of traveling with his family, he's like, oh, I, you know, I, I do want to actually be productive in life, you know? And I, I think it's, um, but like you said, it's good for society, right? I mean, it's good for that that meaning. I even wonder that like with some of these lifters who know that they're maybe not going to progress much anymore, right? Maybe they've been lifting for 20 years or or especially if they were enhanced now they're not, then of course you're really never going to hit a peak again, but they find new goals to, and, and I don't know where specifically you are in your lifting journey in terms of like new goals versus um, past performance, but it, it's like, even on a micro individual level, not no longer like looking at society level, do you have to find lifting goals that push that make you feel like this is meaningful? Some people have a huge shift from body or like strong man to calisthenics, right? Like that's kind of a natural one as you get older and stuff. Um, do, do you think you can take those same principles we talked about on like a grand scale and look at it more on like a micro scale of like even your individual hobbies have to have some progress there? Um, you mean, you mean like if I can find the same love just in like lateral. Well, in the sense, like, so we were, 
so if we look like broadly, we're saying like these people who are hyper productive, right? Mm -hmm. And even when they've accomplished enough that should, in theory, allow you to just retire, chill, whatever, right? When it comes back to like the lifting stuff, we find people who, hey, like you've already benched 400 pounds or you've won like, you know, the strongman competition. And, and even those who know that they can't match that performance again for one reason or another, it seems like to feel alive, like in life, we were talking about before, alive within your lifting hobby, yeah. there's still got to be a purpose. I, yeah. I don't know too many people, again, if we're talking about people who are consistent, who are just like, I'm going in just to maintain, I don't care about any sort of progress in any capacity, and I'm just lifting. I, I guess, again, like the soccer mom who goes to the Zumba class, maybe, but not the people I know who still lift after 20, 30 years. Yeah, my so I know a lot of people that have done that. I've been around long enough to see some of peop the people I competed with age out and the types of things they do. I know a handful of people that started doing like triathlons. Mm. It's strange going from strongman to triathlons. Um, jiu-jitsu, there's a big thing where people were transitioning to jiu-jitsu yeah. because yeah. I think there's a common cerebral element because strongman, there's so many different things. It's not consistent. So you're always having to figure out how to game the equipment, it's always equipment you've never used. It's conditions you've never been in and you have to figure it out on the spot. So I think that element uh, uh, plays into it as well. But my, so my relationship with my competitive goals, and I think for a lot of people, it's like this, there's always kind of the short term. What, what is my goal today? What is my goal this block or this month? And then however that plays into a long-term goal, which I mean, I'm already at the point where I'm staring down realistically the last so many years, you know, five years of maybe being competitive at the level that I am. And it's like, okay, what can I do? And I'm thinking about what goes on at the end of that. I've always said that I think I love lifting enough. I did it exuberantly without any promise of ever being good at it at all. Nearly is it never really believing that I would get as far as I have. Um, and I would, I, I would still do it even if, uh, if I couldn't, compete at this level because it's like, what the hell else am I going to do? I know what it feels like to sit here and not lift like over Thanksgiving. I don't think I worked out for like nine days mm -hmm. and it's like, okay, I got a lot done, but I also felt like garbage. So I know that I need that. And that's enough. I think for me, however, I know also that when I wasn't chasing goals or like I, I was put on pause for a year and a half when me and my wife were trying to um, get pregnant. So I knew I wasn't going to be competing. It's like I had other shit. We had to take care of the house. I had to get this business up and running. I had to make sure that everything squared away. It was pretty stressful. And I was keeping my toe in the water. But, you know, when that uh, that obstacle came in and I didn't have that competitive goal, it was real quick to taking a back seat. So I think having something somewhat substantial to chase is, is important or is at the very least extremely beneficial to getting you to get off your ass and get to the gym when life is kind of building up, um, then there's, you know, it's like, well, you don't need to be motivated to brush your teeth. You need to be motivated to work out. And that sounds nice. And that's what, that's how I try to get in people's heads to get them into the gym where they otherwise wouldn't. But as far as sustainability, like something long-term is important. And that is a hard thing to figure out when you're, when you're uh, transitioning because good God, it's like, yeah. If you do something new, okay. You have this other run you can go up and you can be like, okay, well I have this other goal to chase, but at the same time, it took me 20 years to get good at lifting. I'm like, God, do yeah. I really have it in me to, to yeah. start from scratch and build up something else? I don't know. So I, I see myself just kind of being the guy dicking around the gym. It's like, 
when I'm 70, I'll know what a good bench for me is at 70. And I'm going to be happy when I bench that. And that's, that's probably going to be it. Do you think, so you're how old now? Uh, I just turned 37. Okay. So let's say you do this until you're 40. Do you think you would just say, okay, like you said, like I'm, I'm hanging it up. I'm officially stopping and you, you would be okay with then just lifting. You don't, or you think you'd have to sort of some sort of transition. I mean, I, w- I would probably still seek out something competitive, but then this is where they get you. Cause in an ideal scenario, you take your beating while you're young. And mm-hmm. then in your older years, it's you focus on health and enjoyment and not killing yourself. But now they're coming out with like masters divisions and stuff. So it's like okay. you got the world's strongest band guys, like Zadrunas still shows up and competes at the masters every year. And, um, you know, it keeps guys going, they get, they got fifties and then 60 year olds and you got like older people going, um, lifting is great, but for strong men, especially strong men, you see a lot of guys coming in that are like 35% body fat and they're, you know, it's another reason to bulk up and it's like, you need to worry about living a little longer. You're 63, like let's yeah, get yeah. it in check. Right. So I'm, I'm actually worried for myself that that's going to be the thing that keeps me making less, uh, pr- less intelligent decisions with competing. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure that I would need a competitive goal, but I do love prepping. Like I do. I love having something on the horizon. My training is better for it. Um, but then I, it's such a hard thing to answer. Cause I don't know. I mean, I don't know where I'm going to be at. It, it, this is new. I mean, I'm, I'm older, but like me and my wife, like she's pregnant with our first kid, you know? So it's like, awesome. we have we have to get at the end of that before I even have a sense of what my life is going to be like. And it could be completely different than I would have imagined. You know, I, I might be more content, you know, focusing on fatherly or grandfatherly stuff or whatever, or not, or not, or I'm going to be 75 trying to blast trends. So I can yeah, do yeah. one last show <laughs> that one last, I got that one PR I got to get off my back. Yeah. It's, it's, it's hard to say. It's a hard thing to hang up. Yeah, I'm sure it is. Um, I, I think maintenance is so hard, man. Like when you're, I, I think it is easier to train five days a week to progress, you know, one, two percent than it is to say, okay, just train three days a week, but you're not going to progress at all. Um, just, just psychologically, obviously, like it's just hard to say, well, now I'm still putting in 60% as many days, but I'm, there's no gains right now. You could obviously talk yourself into no, but like you're maintaining what you have and all that, like, of course. Right. But I think that's going back to like the cardio thing. Part of me, I just actually dislike what cardio is compared to lifting, right? Like the long, slow, like, I just don't like it. Um, but that aside, part of it is also, I didn't care about cardio goals. And the few times I have where like, I was like, okay, at 30, I want to hit my best mile. And I did that still hated the cardio, but I had a purpose to it. And so it made it, there were actually a few times where I got to the gym and I was going to lift and do cardio. And I actually was like, I want to get through this lift so I can go run, which is just like shocking. Right. Um, But because I had a goal for it. So I don't know. I mean, I'm not quite at the point where I'm just like, well, nothing's going to happen anymore, but I'm mostly there, you know, after or lifting it and, I'm, you know, I'm not using any performance in any drugs. So after 20 years of lifting, it, it gets <laughs> pretty tough to see any changes. Um, but it, yeah, it is kind of like, all right, well, it's not the primary focus in my life, but I'd like to think I can set some sort of goals. And I've, I've even played around like, like, should I just cut down uh, and like, just be a calisthenics bro or something like just have something that I'm striving for, even if I know, no, I'm never going to be like the best person at it or something, but just something to do. 
Something that's carried me along. I mean, it is a little different when you age out, but if we're talking about like you made the example of when you're just maintaining, like me personally, I love maintaining because uh, I mean, maybe that's my personality. Also, again, somebody who uh, has trouble getting his ass in gear historically. But um, one of the things that's contributed to that is, I mean, one, I think the continuous beatdown, knowing what it's like to string four or five contest preps in a row. Mm-hmm. And I spent a lot of years, I had a good six or seven year run, um, inflamed, horrible hip pain. I sprained my patellar tendons and it took like four years to heal because I wouldn't stop doing heavy yoke runs and, and trying to squat and trying to do cardio and trying to stay 275 pounds. Yeah. yeah. Um, so anyways, I stayed beat up for a long time. And when I had a couple of runs where I could kind of clear out, um, it was like a much needed rejuvenation, but also, and this is where having a lot of experience, experience and experimentation comes in handy. I know that there's a lot of, there are a lot of different modalities that work very well. And as much as I stir shit with the high intensity crowd, um, because it's a big cult, it's a big TikTok cult of 19 year olds, um, the fact is like low volume work can absolutely work. It's beneficial. And I had a bunch of really productive runs through my late teens, early twenties of some of the laziest training you can imagine, but it was prioritizing a lot of calories, um, very heavy efforts, plenty of recovery in between sessions, going in, getting that progressive over. Cause you could talk about the actual workout being optimal. Really, if nothing's progressing, it doesn't matter. The progression of your workout infinitely more important than what you actually do in the workout. So being able to fall back on that is absolutely huge. And it's allowed me to go through runs where like the last two months, I didn't expect any gains for the reason you talked about. Like, oh, I'm just maintaining. It's the holidays. We have to like go on two plane trips. We're traveling, a bunch of projects, everything's up in the air. I'm going to work out like twice a week. I ended up hitting like two PRs in the last two weeks for the fact of being recovered, you know? So sometimes it sneaks up on you. And if you do it right, that's basically what a taper is, right? It's like, right, right. I was doing all this work and then I backed off and now I'm really strong right now. So I have a lot of fun going back and forth with different approaches and modalities, but also, I mean, aside from calisthenics, a lot of people will transition into, into aesthetics or more bodybuilding stuff. You know, it's like, Hey, I've been doing the barbell stuff. Sometimes it's fun to go in and be like, what can I put a half inch on my arms? You know, can I take my waist down an inch? Um, you know, not me. I like being a fast slob, but some people enjoy that. So that's always something you can do when you're tired of just hoisting heavy loads. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Sure. Um, so one thing I I'm just remembering now, cause I was looking at some of the recent videos and actually, I think I've reached out to you about a couple weeks ago. So you had a video on, uh, John Jaquish, right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and yes, I so I had to watch that fully because I had had John on my channel let's see when was this yeah i had had john jacquish on my channel maybe three years ago i want to say and i didn't really know who the guy was his team reached out to me saying you know we'd like to you know to be on the podcast and whatnot which immediately kind of struck me as like all right if this guy because he had a million followers on instagram at the time like people who have a million followers don't generally reach out to be on a podcast with like just a couple thousand subscribers you know at the time so I was like, all right, sure. Like we'll have him on. So they sent me his book, Weightlifting is a Waste of Time. And I was like, all right. So <laughs> did it blow your mind? Is the best thing you ever read? I, I only like skimmed <laughs> through it because he asked me on the podcast, like, oh, did you read the book? I was like, I got the book like a day before the podcast. Like, no, I didn't read the book. So um, 
and which was of course one of like the uh the dichotomy of like people we talked about before the comments were super interesting because you had all the people who were like okay like this is actually um bs and then you had the comments where the video did okay and then all of a sudden there was a huge spike and i was like what happened here and it was shared in his facebook group so then his facebook group like you know came and attacked me that was the only video i had that didn't have like 98 percent likes because of you know, his group <laughs> and uh you know so that was funny and then like i don't i don't know i'm like i'm very hard to like you know it's hard to get under my skin so um and i just responded some of these people i just like had legitimate conversations and replied with uh one or a couple of people like stayed subscribed for a while but basically for people who don't know i mean if they're watching your or my channel they, they have probably heard of him at this point but you know the guy sells a book weight lives and waits of time says as this x3 bar which is basically just bands is like you know so much more effective and there's really no evidence for that uh, i will say there's a few studies on bands that show that they're equally effective now these are like short-term studies and whatnot um and i'm sure bands are fine like some people come in the argument and say oh well this is this worked for me or you know this is better than doing nothing and i'm like dude nobody's saying it's not better than doing nothing i'm saying this guy is arguing that it is far more effective than traditional weightlifting and he is selling a product for that purpose you know and and with that whole belief um and that's of course a big problem so i don't want to you know you can go into your video as well but yeah uh, you, you start anytime you go into it with a fanatic or with somebody who's willing to obfuscate the truth like so aggressively for marketing purposes, you are immediately starting from behind because as the saying goes, like, what, you never get into an argument with a fool because from a distance, you can't tell the difference. And I've experienced this too. I made the joke about Hit being a cult. Um, I was I was like half joking. But I experienced this too because if I hear something ridiculous and I just want to go a hundred miles an hour against that ridiculous statement from anybody watching, or I would say maybe not anybody, a big chunk of the audience, probably people that are biased against you, like in favor of the person that you're trying to argue against. From that perspective, you look like somebody who's just taking the opposite, the opposite stance. They don't pick up the nuance. They pick up that this person saying this and you're, you're combating that. So like with the high intensity thing, people have made, genuinely ridiculous statements um you know that uh i mean it's a meme now like i have a bunch of people commenting under videos where like you know yeah i read mike benzer's book and now i work out once every three weeks and best gains of my life anyways it, it's a joke but i have heard some of the people in that field not necessarily the bigger guys but there's some fringe guys that say some really ridiculous things and in going against that <clears throat> people have like labeled me as like the volume guy like I'm the guy that support, like I like volume, volume's a good tool. Never once have said you should only do volume or volume should be as high, high as possible because it's a dial you turn, it changes over time because that's how like all programming works everywhere. So it's hard to like toe the line of like what you actually think when there's nuance involved. And that's why having these conversations, one of the reasons I'm so hard on myself with how I go in the comments, because it's even if it feels good or even if I'm right, it's like, who cares if I'm not effective? Yeah, and there's yeah. a very special type of effectiveness you need with these people. I only, I know what you're talking about. I've heard people talk about his Facebook group and I guess it is very hive mind. I think I only got one or two of those guys on the video, which I on the comments on the video, which I was very surprised mm -hmm. because I went pretty hard. Like the yeah. thumbnail I'd specifically made to look like his Ted talk thumbnail. And this is where knowing how to work the algorithm comes in because I made the title and the thumb and the tags so that it would rank right next to it. So when you search it, 
they come up. So anybody who sees his TED talk sees my video below that. And it says fake PhD on it in big white letters because he tells everybody he has a PhD. Right. And apparently it's a program that doesn't even require you to have a bachelor's to enter into it. Right. Uh, it's, It's a completely made up degree mill. And then I saw him and now he's starting to get on bigger podcasts. He was, uh, Gabriel Lyons, I think is kind of, I don't, Gabriel, I don't. Oh, yeah. Gabriel Lyons. Yeah. But, that was disappointing to see. It, but it pop is a, a popular podcast. I believe she's an actual doctor. Yeah. And it says right on her thing that like with PhD, you know, Dr. John Jakesh. So, um, somebody, somebody commented like referring to him and referred to him as doctor. I'm like, whoa, whoa. Like let's not go throwing around the term doctor. It's Mr. In every yeah, country on the planet, it's Mister. But yeah, it's it's frustrating to try to deal with it because he is very shameless. He knows exactly what he's doing, and um, it doesn't matter because I think he makes a shit ton of money selling yeah. a pair of bands for five hundred fifty dollars. Yeah, I I spend very little time like addressing specific individuals or or like people who I think are charlatans and whatnot because it's generally not super helpful. But I think there are people out there where their advice is not good but i think they believe what they're saying right um one of the big issues with liver king is it was like okay you are not only saying complete nonsense but you are super aware of the fact that you are lying you're a complete charlatan and it's just nonsense right i mean like you you're of course completely aware of this and so that was you know there was this backlash and everything although i I don't know it seems like i think liver king is still around and that's one of the problems with this john jaquish guy it's like yes you don't truly have a legitimate phd but you're also intelligent enough to know that this is of course nonsense right it's of course a huge lie and and all that and so um and it, man, it's it's tough. It's like the people who get big on these certain diets. It's like, well, it worked for me. It's like, yes, it worked for you because of this. And like a lot of these transformations you see with X3, if they're even doing it at all, it's like, yeah, because you lost weight. You followed a diet and so you lost weight that led to a transformation. Again, bands are fine, but it's, the, it's one of the big things I find, and I'll probably make another video about this, is people are often led astray when somebody says you know, 50 to 80% correct things. And then they throw in another, you know, 20 to 50% complete nonsense. Because if you're not informed, you don't know. I I thought of an example of myself where I bought when I was 14, 13, something, maybe even 12, from an infomercial, this little like ab crunch thing, right? And all the fitness models were on there and everything. And of course it was nonsense and the bands like broke right away or whatever. But I really believed it because I'm I'm like a 13 year old and I didn't know anything and I believed it would work. And these people clearly had a better physique than me. And I think the reality is a huge like, you know, we're in the fitness industry. So we, of course, know a lot of this stuff, but most of the population doesn't know it. They have the same level of fitness knowledge that I had as a 12 year old. And, they you know, why would they necessarily have more? And so. They see, oh, this person is fit, although all of his photos are photoshopped. And I mean, to like a ridiculous extent that it almost doesn't look like a human in some of his <laughs> photos. Um, and they see that and think, OK, so these are the results I want. Um, and it's like disheartening to think that so many people would fall for it. But and, and it also falls into the whole like, hey, it, it appeals to what they want. Here's a convenient thing that I can do from home. Oh, it's only the cost of a year of a gym membership, right? So I can just not go to the gym instead. Um, and it's relatively easy. And so it's just, uh, but my biggest issue with it is more that he knows what he's doing. 
and somehow he has either paid enough or whatever to get on podcasts that have, you know, the Gabrielle Lyons one was disappointing because I think she has some decent information overall, but for her to have that person on the podcast either means she doesn't know what she's talking about when it comes to lifting or she knowingly had somebody on just for the cloud aspect of it. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, there's, um, yeah, there's layers to it because they can hide behind, you know, the most charitable interpretation of something like X3 is that it's something that can potentially grow muscle. It's resistance, resistance works. It's easy, it's cheap, it's for all the things that you would sell it for. So hypothetically, if someone who's never lifted a weight a day in their life, sedentary couch potato, buys this thing, commits to doing the workouts, progressing it, let's forget about how impossible it is to progress with two resistance bands. Right. Like, I, don't, I don't know where that goes. Um, it reminds me of, I just did a thing on the history of bodybuilding and Eugene Sandow had a five pound dumbbell system, which was the same thing. And the reason is because it was cheap to manufacture and, and distribute five pound dumbbells, like mm. as opposed to, right. So uh, same thing with um, Charles Atlas's dynamic tension. Remember those Charles Atlas uh, ads from like the thirties, twenties or thirties of the kid getting sand kicked in his face, really iconic. Uh, ads oh, 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 yes, yes, yes. From like a yes, hundred years yes. ago. Yeah. Um, and he comes back, he's all big and, and beats yes. up the bully or whatever. That was selling dynamic tension, which was just a sheet. It was the equivalent of buy my program. It was just like, instead of Excel, it was just a sheet that had these dynamic tension exercises required no equipment. It was uh, literally put your, put your hands together and squeeze. And you can make that argument that, well, it's activity. It's something's better than sitting on the couch. The reality is we know that nobody sticks to it. So it's like, okay, you're on the hook for knowing that, you're selling something that nobody's going to adhere to. It's not something you can progress. It fails every test you need for a long-term sustainable method of training and adaptation, namely progressive overload, which we've been talking about. Um, and then beyond that, there is the very real problem that they load about the bullshit is in the claims they're making about how good it is, which are patently false. Lane Norton did a good thing on it. Um, looking at the study, it got, I want to say it got the name X3, because there was a study they were citing where people got three times the results, except the study used people with straight weight and people with straight weight plus bands. So yeah, th yeah. there was no part of that that was just bands by itself. I think Lane like, did it because I so I made the video and then I think somebody sent it to him. Yeah. And then he actually referenced me in the video. So thanks for the shout out, Lane. Yeah. Yeah. Lane doing God's work, man. Um, <laughs> but it, it's top to bottom. The things he says are trash. And then the, I didn't read the book. I knew the book was gimmicky just to sell the bands, whatever. When you see bands being sold for $550, you're like, okay. Like it's like the rainbow vacuum gimmick. Like if you get people to go sell door to door and give their presentations and you can hype people up and, you know, speak to their pain point, speak with emotion, make the payment simple. You can sell a vacuum for $3,000, which is what they do. Mm -hmm. Same thing. You got literally uh, $4 worth of equipment from Alibaba and it's five fifty because, you know, people, they, they, they get bought in and that hive mind thing kicks in. You think you're missing out. And it's like, well, it's not that expensive. Anyways, it, he's patently full of shit. Seeing the Ted talk where, you know, Hey, I have a PhD in biomechanics. Let me tell you how the pec uh, inserts uh, at the elbow on the other end of your arm. It's like, it's so blatantly. It's not just that he's wrong I on something. That, yeah, it's amazing. It's that he so blatant. It, it's shameless. Yeah. Yeah. 
it's disheartening to know that and not only can people get away with that it's like i'm sure he's made a shit ton of money so oh i'm sure i'm sure it's one of those things where it makes you question like when you (laughs) when you see somebody who seems like an authority on something and then you see them say something that's just patently incorrect you it it shouldn't always be the case that just because somebody says something wrong that you discredit everything else they say but i think just that's just kind of how we're kind of wired you see somebody say something that's like bs and you're like oh wow i really have to question like everything so even in this example i'm like i don't really watch many ted, TED talks but i had kind of always assumed if somebody is on a ted talk they're probably an expert in their field and knowing that he was on a ted talk you're like oh wow like maybe all ted talks are bs you know <laughs> and everybody was was going hard in the comments making sure people know uh tedx is different than ted ted has standards but they license tedx so it's like, we're going to drop the standards. You can do a, a TED talk, but it's like, it's like a sanction contest where some gym that just opened up and nobody knows what they're doing, but they paid the fee. So now it's like a USPA meet or whatever, you know, oh, okay. uh, um, it, uh, that's what TEDx is. So that was at a high school. It's like, who's in charge of it? You know, what's the vetting process looks like? Uh, it's yeah, it's, but it is, it does hurt the brand. It's like, what good is the brand if you're going to sell it? to people that don't meet the standards and let every dipshit with something to sell. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Uh, my mind is telling me to like take my own advice and be measured and do the hard work, have the conversation. But at the same time, I just want to tell everybody what a piece of shit he is. So it's like, yeah. what, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard. I, I actually don't <laughs> think I understand some people who say, Oh, just focus on yourself. Just focus on yourself or like put out the good information. I actually disagree with that because, uh, and not even just from like an engagement standpoint, of course, from an engagement standpoint, yes, it does help to call people out by name for sure. I mean, we see that all the time, but that aside, if you are trying to get out the best information, first of all, getting more engagement is going to do that. But then secondly, again, like I just think back to my first few years of lifting and, um, you know, I, I don't mind calling this person out by name, but like, you know, Christian Thibodeau from, um, he was on T Nation and I don't know what he does now. I, I'm sure he's he's a good guy or whatever, but there was a, there was years on T Nation where they were selling. And again, I was fortunate enough to not fall into, um, you know, any of the supplement stuff, but they were selling, it was called like, um, you know, like the movie iRobot. It was like I bodybuilder. And it was this whole big thing. They really hyped it up. There was that. And it just tremendously expensive supplements. And I think he had a good lifting background, but you know, the guy was five, nine, 220 shredded. I had no idea as a skinny 14 year old that this guy was enhanced. And I'm just like believing in everything he's talking about. And if somebody had put out a video or, you know, at the time article, and I was like, Oh, like Christian Thibodeau is like full of BS or whatever. Like I made have I might've said, Oh, let me look at this and see why this is, you know, not legitimate versus if somebody had just kind of coyly or just you know privately just wrote an article that maybe disputed what he said how would i have ever come across that you know i just wouldn't know um you know like you by calling out people who have bs information and again i i'm i'm bringing up that guy's name only because it's an example that comes up it's totally possible that the lifting stuff he put out there was legitimate um but I think when you call out people who are potentially doing harm, whether that's financial harm to people or selling stuff that's like completely illegitimate, I, I think it makes sense. Now, of course, it can get too far when if you're like, you know, you have. I think it's important to look at intent, right? Some people do have good intent. And then I'm not saying you should vilify people, but even like within, you know, like if you, Alex, like put out a video that was something within my wheelhouse 
and I really disagreed with it, I would be like, Alex is a piece of crap, like fraud. But I might say like, you know, I might have a video that says, is Alex Bromley correct? And then I might address it. And I think it it gets the point of what you're trying to do. I don't think you have to be so coy about it that you just put out the information and hope people find it. Yeah. And the, I'm inclined to you know justify it because disagreeing with, with a peer or thinking somebody's mistaken, but they're an honest player is different than somebody who is in the most obvious way committing fraud. But then this goes back to what I was saying before about the satisfaction that comes with just throwing mud at that person and yeah. saying, you know, it's it, the golden rule really is that, you know, do unto others. It's actually, you know, what you do to others, they will do back to you. Yeah, yeah. So if you are throwing shit at people because you feel like you're justified, it's like, well, everybody feels like they're justified doing that with people they don't like. And then that becomes totally. a thing. So on the one hand, it's like, okay, is there good to be done by just waving the flag and just trying to like push this guy out of the industry? Probably. But then there's this cost of like, well, how do you do that? Uh, how do you do that where that's not now the standard every time people get into a pissing contest or do disagree? So then it's like, but then now am I obligated to engage with somebody who is an out and out fraud as if he were a peer? Yeah. And then I end up running in circles and I I don't do anything. But yeah. <laughs> I, I completely agree. This is why the endless con- conversations that never reach an actual endpoint are so important because it is the discussion in real time as new generations are coming into the fold. If the conversation is always being had, then people are always being exposed to it. And I think ultimately, and you can attach this to like what you were saying about being young and falling into like hyped up um, supplements because this big muscular guy you looked up to was selling them. It really goes back to a problem with onboarding new lifters, which I think would cut to the heart of so many problems in this field. I often, I mean, we were talking about UFC. I lament that lifting is not in some like martial arts model where there's not gyms, there's like dojos, there's places where there's a hierarchy, there's there's people that know what they're doing. You know who's been around the block, you know who the coach is, you know who uh, is, it's their first day. People don't conflate their position. Um, you have a bit of humility when you walk in and then in that way, people educate you as you go, what's reasonable to expect, um, you know, what, what the general best methods are and you're not so likely to get, uh, get trapped into bullshit. Now, I don't know that that ever will be uh, a standard, but I think like I think about that when uh, we talk about the the deal with in expectations with seeing people who are enhanced, because even that it goes back to like, well, if you were following somebody who isn't enhanced, who is very muscular, does that mean their supplements aren't bullshit? Or does that mean their training is very good? Or does that mean that even if it's good, that you're actually going to look like them? Almost assuredly not, because if you're getting paid for your looks or your physique, you probably have a rare enough type of genetic uh, predisposition that is not accessible to the average person, at least not with a shit ton of work slash plastic surgery. I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, And getting all of those expectations out, I feel like that should be common knowledge, but it's not because as bad as it was when you and I started decades ago, it's worse now with the internet because it's just a, a cyclone of uh shit and anybody with a camera can have a an opinion or be an authority which is good for me because i make my living but it's also bad for the amount of people that have probably gotten a foothold in the industry that don't deserve it so yeah it's it's weird but i i really wish there was a solution to get to the bottom of how people discover lifting and 
the type of relationship they build with it based on those first bits of, uh, of information they get. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, just to clarify my stance a little bit there, I do think that it should be done respectfully. Um, you know, like that Jaquish podcast I did, that was the only podcast that I then made a follow-up video because I just felt like I had to after Cause like, again, I didn't really know much about him. So when I had him on, I was like, I should clarify here my points. Um, yeah. but I'd like to think my video was done respectfully. I don't think people should necessarily go in there and like, you know, be slinging insults constantly and, and whatnot. I mean, again, occasionally it can be humorous and depends on how it's done, but I, I don't think you're going to go wrong if you are just addressing the points legitimately and say, Hey, this is what this person said. We have a lot of evidence to say that this is not accurate. Right. And this way you kind of get the best of both worlds. You are addressing it, but you're doing it respectfully. And people who come to your video are going to say, Hey, here's a rational person who is addressing the points. Um, and, and that you're probably going to win over more people that way and show them, I don't want to say the truth. It's harder to find truth, but you know, a more accurate point of view. Yeah, I, I agree. That's um, the, the best strategy is going to be where like the moral authority intersects with what's strategically uh, more effective. And, you know, it, it, they call it the high road for a reason, but also yeah. it works better for everybody involved, including you and your reputation. So, and that's what I have to remind myself when I'm yeah. trying to go hard in the comments. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Cool, man. So um, so I know we're coming up on the time here. Uh, I just want to finish one quick topic. Alex, what's going on with Marvel, man? I haven't seen the new movie oh, yet, man. so don't spoil that one. But just generally, haven't seen, haven't I haven't seen, seen what? The, the newest one, the Marvels. You haven't seen the Marvels? Oh, man, everybody's seen been, the Marvels. It's man, been tough. It's been you, tough you, couldn't get a, you couldn't get a ticket, huh? That's yeah. what it was. You couldn't get a ticket because the theaters were packed. Right, right. Yeah. I, I, so I, I've only heard generally about the Marvels doing very poorly. But uh, in general, I, I've had to I've had to accept that my, uh, you know, kind of like, I don't want to say childhood, but like, you know, my teenage years of all the great Marvel stuff is has come to a close. And I don't know if I should just let it go. How old, how old are you? 32. Oh, OK. Yes, you are. You're a bit younger than me. Um Cause you look like you're 27 and I look like I'm 52. <laughs> so people probably thought the gap was much bigger, but um, okay. 32. Yeah. So I remember the first iron, well, I was in high school. I think when the first Hulk movies came out, that 2008 didn't, that didn't really count, but kind of yeah, did. Right. Um, right. So I, I count the first Iron Man movie really. Yeah. Uh, but 2007, that was probably the first time CGI was really good. Because they were still making the Matrix sequels about right. that time that were horrendous. Yeah. Remember Keanu Reeves' face in like Matrix <laughs> 2? It was like 2002 or 3 or whatever. So the leap in CGI from like 2000 to like to like 2007 and Iron Man flying around was like bananas. But um, yeah, I, I'm a comic book fan for one because I grew up, I, I still draw to this day. I still have a bunch of comic books like a child that my wife has to like hide when people come into the house. Um, but I'm also a movie fan. So I take this like very personally because there seems to be a, a big divide among the fandom, which you'll have fans that um, kind of have standards and expectations, but then you also get fans that they just want that nostalgia hit where they yeah. just respond very well when they see the thing they like. There's people that no matter what, if they see an S shield on something, they're about it. It doesn't yeah. matter. They're like, oh, that there's that thing I like. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think there's still a bit of that going on with Marvel. It's weird the comments I'll see because that's my guilty pleasure. Like for as much crap as I've ever talked about my wife watching like the Kardashians or something, 
I consume like the angry, hate filled uh, <laughs> media where everything is about Brie Larson. Everything is about, yeah. and it's not even that I think they're unhinged, but I can't get enough because I leave the theater and I'm still mad. So yeah. That's how I like commiserate. But um, yeah, it, it, uh, I'm upset that it did well enough for long enough to know that we're probably never going to get that quality ever again because on the one hand, studios are losing their asses right now because they went too hard. I mean, the Marvels is one of the biggest flops ever. It was, I hear, heard that it needs to make close to 800 million to break even because it was like a $220 million budget. Um, then you have to like double that for advertising. And then in addition to that, they only take like such a chunk of theater receipts. So that's make all this money. And last I checked, had it broken a hundred million? Oh my god! Really? I, I, oh, oh, it's one of the biggest flops in. Oh life. wow! Oh, it's a massive flop, and I, I made the joke about not being able to get a ticket because yeah, me and my yeah, wife yeah. saw it in the first week, and there were four people in the theater. Oh my gosh! Wow. And I remember phase one, two, and three, all the way up Iron Man. I saw every Marvel movie in theaters on opening weekend, every single one. Wow! And some of them I saw in theaters more than once, and lines across it, the street was oh, yeah. the norm. People lining up for like you're getting you're going into one showing and there's two other showings that are just flooded with anyways. So uh, yeah, it hit this high for good reason because they were great characters, very well written. You look at like John Favreau's work in the beginning. You look at Jane, like the first Guardians of the Galaxy. You look at some of these like genuinely classic stories and pieces of cinema that are going to go on forever. And how it culminated at the end, it got a little flawed, but it was still like really satisfactory. Um, and then to see what we've gotten like the last couple of years, it's like, I don't think we're ever going to get back to that thing. So yeah, it's like, yeah. people uh, are, I, I, I don't know. I don't know what the deal is. Yeah. 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 I'm sure people are, are shocked by how much of a nerd I am now with this. But uh, but yeah, it's uh, I came up at like the perfect time for it because it was yeah 2008 or so. And I kind of like vaguely knew about like the Avengers and whatnot. But like I'm big on things that are, like world building, <laughs> I think are cool. And like, you know, that they have the series and to it, me, it was just like the perfect thing. And like you said, the phase one, two, three, fantastic. I will say, looking back, I know there were some movies within that that weren't that great. And I do really believe that there were movies after Endgame that were good. I think that like the Spider-Man movies were pretty good. A um, couple of other ones that I don't think were that bad. But just as a general, like, yeah, like you look at it broadly, it was clearly like phase one through three. And now what we have. And uh, yeah, it's super disappointing. Like to your point, like I remember going to Black Panther in North Carolina and it was just, I mean, like, like you said, lions out the door. I mean, it was ridiculous. And um, I think I am that person, like you said, where like you see it and you're like you, or at least not that I necessarily love it, but I want to love it. I want it to be that thing. And I think the, the decrease in quality as well as like, maybe I've also kind of aged out maybe to a degree, um, I'm just like, man, it's, it's, it's probably never going to happen again. And like, I just, I, I don't want to believe it. You know, I, I think there's still room for, I think good storytelling wins. And I think that's why superhero movies did so good in the beginning because we had superhero movies in the nineties. I mean, you know, blade, I saw every blade movie in theaters, you know, Wesley Snipes was the shit in the nineties with yeah. like the sunglasses and, and it was pretty jacked in that one. Yeah. Yeah. The first blade movies are rated. I remember like we watched me and my wife, I made my wife watch it the other night. Um, but there were like, uh, there, there were, you know, the Batman, uh, Batman movies in the beginning, but there was just a different level of storytelling that took place. The world building was huge. Cause it's not just enough to have 
um, you know, Robert Downey Jr. or Chris Evans were very charismatic and all their supporting characters and the stories were good and it was interesting, but they built this world in a way that never been done before. And it made everybody who saw one want to see the other ones. And what's funny is I'll look back at the movies I thought were weak. Like uh, the first Captain America, I was mm-hmm. like, it was okay. Yeah. The first couple Thor movies I thought were okay. Those movies aged so well. So you go back and watch. I'm telling you, I want you to watch some Marvels. Then I want you to go back and watch Thor one and two, yeah. which people largely regard as like some of the weakest movies. The storytelling is on two different levels. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's not just like lamenting that it's a bygone era. It's like how aggressively bad it is. is kind of weird. And I don't want to get into like a weird political realm because this is where it goes, but I find it disheartening because I think the cause of representation that they were going after was a noble one. And yeah. if you're going to make the case that representation is important, it's important that you do it well. And these people did it in the most incompetent way possible that set their own cause back like decades. Oh yeah. Because now they're conditioning people to associate those maneuvers with really bad stories. And you'll know exactly what I mean when you watch the movies. Yeah. 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 No, and I'm, I'm looking forward to your message. I'm looking forward to. to I'll definitely hit you it. up. I'll definitely hit you up soon. Um, no, it's actually, it will be the first Marvel movie I've not seen in theaters. So I didn't go up any weekend, but I've seen every single one in theaters. And this will be the first that I won't. I won't spoil anything, um, but it is legitimately one of the worst movies I've ever seen in my life. Man, oh man. I, somebody asked me what, what I gave it. because, And I, I hate when I see people like try to, and you know, they just don't want to give it a bad rate. They're like, I thought it was like a six. The movie was a 1.5 <laughs> out of 10. Um, just if if you if there's as an experience, it fails. Um, just ridiculous stuff. It doesn't. There's no chemistry. I don't know who oh, the hell man. is trying to say there's chemistry between the main characters. The best everybody's giving charity to Amon Vellani, who is good. I liked her. She was good, but she's still very Teen Disney, and it doesn't yeah, kind yeah, of yeah. fit. But anyways, uh, there's there's no story arc the villain god i'm remembering all the things i forgot i'm getting angry <laughs> getting angry how bad it was but then you now this this is the most disparity between what the director did and what the studio does because now everything looks like b-roll um the uh the cgi fights it's like cutting room b-roll it looks like you're like i've seen this a million times they just took this from another movie is that what they did because it's you can tell there's two different creative teams doing it and it just nothing comes anyways oh, okay. i could be here for 45 minutes yeah yeah, yeah yeah Oh, well, the end of an era, I suppose. An era, man. <laughs> we still got what I, I feel like I have to have hope over. What was I excited about? Oh, I, do you like, uh, um, I don't know, samurai stuff or uh, uh, anime stuff, anything like that? I Not a ton, like a specific example you have. I'm, I, I was just wondering in general, but like I don't specifically. I think watching Dragon Ball Z in like high school was sure. the closest I got to it. So yeah. I, I never like fell in love with it, but I have a, an appreciation for the stories because they haven't gone like the West is going this way and Japan's like, screw you guys. Mm. Like we're doing this and they're like killing it. Uh, Blue Eye Samurai on Netflix is okay. one of the best shows I've seen in recent history. Oh. It's and it's it's a it's got a, it's a little woke. It's got a little like progressive themes in there. But I'm like, this is like, this is how you make those messages if that's what you want to send. Yeah. So I, I recommend you check that out. Uh, it's it's in it's similar animation style to like Arcane, okay. but um, very 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 good show. So I've I've hoped that there's still good storytelling to to come out. It's just it has to make it its way into the right studios. Oh man, cool cool. So all right, well, where can people find your stuff? Uh, Alexander Bromley is my YouTube name, which is very clever, I know. And then um, 
Yeah, that's it. That's pretty much where I put all of my stuff. If you want to hear me rant about movies, I have a second channel that nobody watches. It's Brahma Rama. So I put yeah. a couple of, a couple of reviews up on there that I've played around with. Um, yeah, that's about it. Awesome, man. Thanks again. Thanks for having me, man.